All right, turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 7. I'd like to continue this story from a couple weeks ago. Last time we were here, we looked at Judges chapter 6, we looked at the fleece, and we saw what the fleece represented. And the, and the great thing about some of these things in the Bible, some of these, these, these uh, 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 tokens, I guess we can call them in the Bible, is that... Um, you know, the fleece can represent many, many things, not just the ones I've mentioned. It can, it's going to represent whatever it represents for you in order for you to get right with God. That's what these, these items represent, uh, more importantly, just because we don't mention them. But oftentimes we do hit on uh, the, the ones that, that do get to you. And please, um, be very, very gentle and moving with the Holy Spirit and be, let, let Him do His work in you. So here we have Judges chapter 6. We looked at the fleece. We know, that, um, we know that the children of Israel were under oppression by the Amalekites and the Midianites. And uh, we know there's 120,000 of them that are camped outside uh, their doorstep getting ready to come in. And an angel came down, came down to Gideon. We saw that Gideon was behind a wine press. He was trying to take care of his family. And he was making some food for his family. And an angel came down there and called him, oh, mighty man of valor. And the, quite, the, the neatest thing, I always find this, this is always comical to me. Uh, the things that God says to certain people, you know, like, for example, for, for, for Gideon. Um, you know, he was the smallest tribe and the smallest family in his tribe. And he calls him a mighty man of valor. And I want you to think about that for a second, because when God speaks, he speaks for what he sees, not for what you are. And he knows what you can be potentially, he knows where you're going to go. So when he mentions anything to you about those sorts of things, it's because he has this vision in his head about who you can become. And of course, Gideon tried to, tried to get out of it. He didn't think he was a mighty man of valor. And uh, uh, questioned God, that was what the fleece was, and uh, and then he was given a job. He was told to go out and take care of the altar there and, and tear that down. Then uh, after he tore down that altar, the next job was to go and fight these uh, Midianites and Amalekites. So we pick up the story back in, uh, right up here in verse uh, chapter 7 here of Judges chapter 7. And I need, uh, I need my Amorites or my uh, Naphtali and Manasseh and, and uh, Zebulun to come on up here. Had a couple of guys that are going to resent these. So when, uh, after, after the fleece situation, uh, at the end of chapter 6, God says, all right, get yourself an army together. Go ahead and call about a bunch of people. Call went out to Naphtali. Who did I pick for Naphtali? Remember? Naphtali. I gave them names. I hope they remembered it because I don't. Um, so we're going to make him Naphtali, and you were Menasseh, and you were Zebulun. All right, that's fine. You're going to be Zebulun, and you're going to be Menasseh. Figure it out, guys. All right, I'm going to have a little fun here in church. While we're at it, I wanted to take a quick, uh, uh, actually a quick snap. Everybody look at the camera and say, Hi, Miss Catherine and Pastor. Hello. Get better soon. I told Miss Catherine I'd do that. And she goes, oh, that'd be so cool. So here we have the, the, here we have the call. And, and only 32,000 men showed up. And I wanted you to think about that for a second, because only 32,000 men showed up. So I don't, I don't want you to, to uh, you know, when, when we tend to read these stories, we tend to like only, you know, wow, these 32,000 men, you know, they're, you know, that was bad or that was good. Sometimes you have different opinions on those, but I want you to think about it. These are the only ones that showed up to begin with. Okay. 
Now, out of all the tribes of Israel, only three were picked because those were probably the closest. But I know from past chapters in the Bible that there are more than 32,000 men that can come and show up to this army. But only 32,000 heard the call. And I want you to think about that verse in, in, uh, um, think about that verse in Matthew when Jesus said, uh, many are called, but few are chosen. And, and here's our chosen few. And we know from the story, and we're going to get to this in a second, that we even whittle these few down even more. So here we have these men here. Okay, let's read the verse, verse 1 here. It says, in Zebulun of chapter 7, or then Jerubbabel, sorry, uh, who is Gideon, and all the people were with him, rose up early, and pitched beside the wall of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are with thee are too many. For me to give the Midianites into the hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this thought. And we can put ourselves in this story uh, and, and, and we can play you know, even several parts with the way our lives have shaped and, and with how you've worked in our lives. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that we can fill a couple more of these parts and in the end that we can get to that awesome 300 that um, so richly and miraculously uh, delivered Israel and help us, Lord, to get to that point in our lives as Christians. And just pray, Lord Jesus, you'd be also with Pastor and those that can't be here with us today. Uh, due to their illnesses or ailments, and just pray, Father, that you bless now. Amen. Now, I want you to look at the odds here real quick. 32,000 showed up. That's a four to one odd. So for every, every one of these soldiers, in order for them to win the battle, they would have to kill four of the enemy. Okay. But then you also have to take into account, well, what if my buddy dies? So now that makes it an 8 to 1. And then as the war goes on, the odds become increasingly harder. As battle goes on, because we know there's going to be casualties. Unless, of course, you got God on your side. Then we look at a lot of, the, uh, a lot of our stories that we've seen where uh, the children of Israel suffered no casualties whatsoever. But God looks at these guys and says, yeah, you guys are strapping, you're young, you're good. Thanks for the call, but I don't need y'all. That's what God said. I don't, I don't need them all. This is because if I have them all, then they're going to say, we delivered Israel out of the hand, not the Lord. So even a four to one odds, probably even more than that, was still too small or too little of odds for God. So he says, all right. He says, so... So Gideon, here's what you do. You just go and tell them, say, any of y'all that are afraid, go home. All right, Stephen, you're great afraid, so scream, be afraid, go home. Perfect, awesome. 
So now we're down to just 10,000. Now let's look at these odds again. Now the odds are 12 to 1. Just with the army that we have. 12 to 1. So we have 10,000 Israelites, and we've got 120,000 Midianites and Amalekites. 12 to 1. But again, let's look at the odds again. It's probably going to be greater than that because you know some people are going to get killed or get hurt or get maimed during the battle. So it's going to be more like 24 to 1 or it's going to be more like, you know, 36 to 1. So for every one Israelite soldier, he'd have to take out about 36 enemies in order for them to win the battle. Now I want to focus in on that fearful real quick. I want to ask you the question, why were they fearful? Well, first you also have to ask the question, why did only 32 show up? Why did only 32,000 show up? Now we know in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, that each of these tribes had about 20 to 30,000 they, that they offered, because we had about six to 700,000 in the book of Numbers when David numbered his people. So we know that there's actually a large amount of people that could have come and showed up, but they didn't. But we've got to give props to the 32,000 that did, that heard the call and accepted it. Because, I mean, you've got to understand, they know where they're going to. They know the odds. They've heard the stories. Even though 32,000 are showing up, they're thinking they're possibly not going home after that battle. Because they know the enemy they're facing. So give props off to 32,000. So that's why the other, other 22,000 left. It's because they know the odds and they knew that was going to happen. But why'd they go? Was it because of the odds? They knew, they knew the end result? Big army, small army. It's kind of, you know, kind of no-brainer when it's a hand-to-hand -hand combat. The stronger men survive. Was it because of the people? The people they were fighting? Was it because of the Midianites and the Malachites? Now, the Bible doesn't describe them, but we don't see in, in the Bible or in history where the, the Amalekites and the Midianites, they, they weren't like very brutal people. They were the enemy, but they weren't brutal like the Babylonians or the Ninevites who would take little kids and throw them into pits and, and cast lots and, and gamble on how long they're going to stay alive in a pit of hungry wolves. That was their entertainment. It wasn't like those guys. They were just people that, you know, were in the area. They were, they were evil. The Bible calls them evil. They were oppressing Israel. So it wasn't like they were really brutal. It wasn't like they had chariots of iron that had spikes coming out the sides. It wasn't, it wasn't like they had some great army. They just had a lot of people. So I don't think it was the odds. I don't think it was the people. Why was it they were afraid? I'll give you a couple ideas, one of which, tell you what, for a couple minutes, guys, why don't you go ahead and sit down. You guys have made it this far. Go ahead and have a seat. I don't trust you. I wouldn't either, but that's all right. I just don't want you to stand there doing nothing just for a second. Why were they afraid? I'll tell you. I think it was because of sin. Because we know that in the last chapter alone that we saw that Gideon had to take care of an altar of Baal before 
he was able to actually go any farther in his journey with God. All of Israel, we know at this point, is in idolatry. Even reading the rest of Judges will tell you that. And looking forward and, and looking at the rest of, rest of the chapters, so not just focusing on where we're at in the Bible and in history, but we know in the gamut of things. Okay, when they came out of Egypt, they brought idolatry with them. And because of no hero, no king, no uh, um, leader... They're going to do what they know what to do. And to them, it was just going to idolatry. We're just going to hang out with the people that are around us. They were in idolatry and in a bad way. They were very sinful nature. And I want to translate that to us too. You know, oftentimes we don't answer the call because we're afraid as well. But why are we afraid? Why should we be afraid? Now, in the case of them, it was, it was a sinful nature. That's why they left. They saw a way to get out. But why do we need to be afraid? Oftentimes, we're afraid because of what we don't know. It's, it's not that God's calling us to a mission field that we're afraid of. It's what's going on in that mission field at that time we tend to get afraid of. So that's why a lot of missionaries aren't being called, or a lot of missionaries aren't answering the call, because of creature comforts. They're too well entrenched here in the States to leave it. I've got my family here. I've got everything here that I need. I've got plenty of money. I've got plenty of time. I'm not a lack for anything. If I need it, I can go out and buy it, or I can just go out and get it, or I can go to earn money. You can't exactly do that on the mission field. You don't have that comfort over there. We're afraid because of lack of knowledge. We're also afraid because of sin. Because there is sin in our lives other than idolatry that keeps us from serving. We're afraid that somebody might find out those sins. Now I want to be a help in this situation here for you. I want to try to help you uh, I guess sin less. I guess we, if we could call it that, to sin less. I don't know how else to describe it, but you can get to a point in your Christian walk where you can kind of predict when there's going to be a tough time when you might slip into sin. Now, I don't think anybody here is going to have an issue with like drugs or smoking or things like that. Those are easy not to deal with. Okay, You know, alcohol I don't think is going to be an issue either. You know, so those things we're not worried about. But sin is also classified about the things that we're told to do that we don't do. Like church attendance, reading our Bible and praying, and tithing. Those things that the Bible tells us that we need to do on a regular basis. Go out and tell somebody about soul winning. We don't do these things because we're afraid of the results. Why would we be afraid of the results? We're just afraid because we don't know. And sometimes we get into such a habit that we don't have time to fit these other things in. We get so rudimentarily in our routine that when, when we need to have that time with God, we don't take it. Because it's just, it doesn't fit into our schedule. Our schedule means we have this, 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 this to do. 
So we kind of put off Bible reading and prayer. And there's other things that go along with it. Our thought process as well can be extremely sinful. Now, no one in here can read anybody else's thoughts. Only God can do that. And, but you, in, in, in this point, you have to be in that situation where you know what you're going to think before you're going to think it. Well, how do you do that? Well, kind of lay out some guidelines here for you. So as we've seen here with those that aren't showing up, those that didn't show up out of Israel and those that ran, 90% of, of the people that, um, that have an issue are the ones that are in sinful nature. So we want to define or outline how to not get out of that. Okay? Or how, how to get out of that. I'm trying to figure out how to explain this here. You need to look at your own life. What are, what are your tells? Okay? What is it? So, so you look back at your sin. Okay? So I did this on this day. I did this on this day. And I know those things were wrong. You look back at, at what surrounded, what were the outside pressures? What were the outside influences that pushed me to do those certain things? And, you know, most of the time, 90% of the time, the sin becomes when we're alone. When we're not around other people that can lift us up or help us, or be embarrassed for what we're doing. Because sin is awfully embarrassing, and we don't want people to know what that is. So, that 10% of the time, we need to figure out how to get away from that. So, you outline your, your life, you outline what it is. So, um, is it, is it outside pressures? Was it uh, you put into a situation where you might want to lie? Was it a situation where you looked at pornography or fornication or adultery? Were those situations? What were the parameters there? And you need to then see what those are and get away from those particular issues. So you need to look at your life, you need to outline it, you need to figure out where you sin. Another situation where we uh, sin or where they might have ran was because of a lack of faith. Not only were they in sin while the 22,000 left, it was a lack of faith. They haven't seen a lot of God's miracles. They haven't seen things that uh, uh, God has done. And, you know, they weren't there for the Red Cross, for the... Uh, a crossing at the Red Sea. You know, they weren't there to watch Joshua uh, topple the walls of Jericho. But they've heard the stories. So they know the stories are out there. But, and that is the same case of us. We don't want to serve because of our lack of faith as well. Not only are we sinful in a sinful state, but also our lack of faith. We just don't trust what's going on. I want to read you this statement here. Someone said, when you stop counting your blessings and start counting your trials, then you stop getting the blessings. We get so focused on our situation and the trials and drama and tribulations that we have that we lose sight of the joy that we have every day. The joy of living. And to live with Christ. We have a couple of funerals. 
that are coming up. That tends to be a downer. You know, pastor had surgery. That tends to get people worried. You know, we, we look at the weather. Sometimes that worries people. You know, there are a lot of external issues that tend to weigh on us. And that lack of faith slips in. I also want to read you another, another quote here that I found while I was doing this. Someone else said, and this, and okay, uh, my kids especially, does, this didn't come from Panda, okay? It actually came from outside of Panda. Panda, um, Kung Fu Panda was a, a Disney cartoon that has this particular quote in it. This is not where I got it. There's an outside source. Disney picked it up, okay? Just want to clarify that so I'm not bringing movies into the service. Someone also said, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. That's why today is a present. And we get so focused on everything else that we have to do that we lose sight of what God wants us to do. Our lack of faith, our sinful nature. And lastly... They were afraid. And one other thing that I saw here, it really goes along with their lack of faith pretty much. It's their faithlessness in God and in yourself. So not only your lack of faith in just the Bible or in what the Bible can offer, but sometimes you just don't understand what you're perfectly capable of. And you sell yourself short. So they left because of those reasons, and I'm sure we can pick out more. So now we have our two tribes. So we have the 90s, the 22,000 left. So now we have 10,000 left. Let's so look at verse, verse 4 here in your Bible. Or no, sorry, verse 5. He looks at Gideon and says, Gideon, these 10,000, they're still too many. So you're going to spread out here because we're going to you have to demonstrate here for us here. I mean, come on over here. Ah, why don't you go on over on this side here. So he says, take everybody down to the river. All right, take everybody down to the river, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to look. Give everybody a drink. So you both are going to kneel down. So one of you is going to kind of just stick your face in the water. Um, Zebulun, that sounds good here. No, yeah, yeah, not, yeah, Zebulun. You can go ahead and stick your face in the water. You're going to kind of lick it like a dog. Okay, you're just going to kind of just go wholeheartedly in it, and if anybody wanted to come up and push you in, it'd be real easy to push you in, okay? And then the other one here, he's just going to kind of scoop up his hands with the water just a little bit, and just kind of, you know, you know kind of like deer. Where's my hunters? Hunters, you got a couple hunters back there. No, you know, it's kind of like what deers do. They kind of take a little bit of a sip, and they kind of look up all around. You'll see them eat a little bit. They'll walk a little bit around. They'll take a few bites, and they'll look up all around. They're, they're, very rarely do you see for more than a couple of seconds them take their eyes off their surroundings. And that's what each one of these are representing. So he's just going at it. He's just about ready to fall in. So we're just going to go ahead and toss him in. Over the rails, there he goes. He fell in. And 97 of them, 97,000 of them, go ahead and thank you. Thank you, David. 9,700 of them, 9,700, were the ones that were lapping like a dog. And all that was left was just 300 was just 300. Da, da, da. Yep, okay, good. Super, man. Go ahead, do it. Okay, thanks. Good job. 
I want you to see that illustration for a second as, as, as we did that. Um, so even at 97, or 10,000, we had 12 to 1 odds. And now that we got rid of those 97, now the odds are 106 to 1. 106 to 1. Okay, you're looking at one guy taking care of a company of men. A couple of companies, actually. So you imagine our army, a couple of companies, pretty much one guy's taken out, you know, kind of a tenth of our army, so to speak. 106 to 1 were the odds. Let's look down here at verse 4. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I shall say, or I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whosoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought, them, brought the people down unto the, unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set up himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink, and the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. And all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. So God has whittled us down. So there's 9,700. Why did they leave? Because you think about it, when the other 22,000 left, if they were going to leave, why didn't they leave with them? Because that extra 9,700, they had a little bit more faith. They might have been a little bit more right with God. They might have been a little bit stronger. Maybe they were just kind of curious to see what was going to happen next. Because, I mean, you think about it. You know you got this enemy on the other side of the hill. Only 32,000 showed up. And then when he came in and said, hey, y'all too many, 22,000 left. I might have stuck around just to see what's going to happen next. I think it would be kind of cool what happens with an army of 10,000 and try to take out an army of 120,000? It might have been neat to see. I don't know if I'd want to see it from a front row standpoint. I'd probably want to sit up on the hill and watch from a distance. But, but at, at, at this point, he goes, y'all leave. Why did they leave? I think they left because of selfish reasons. I think they left because they were more concerned about themselves after they saw the odds than what they were when the rest of them left. Kind of weighed on them a little bit more. And when, when you break down each of these sections, and when we think about even our own lusts for a moment, think about our own thought process, the things we need, and, and, don't, and, and, and don't misunderstand, lust doesn't always have to be in a sexual nature. Lust can be after money. It can be after food. It can be after items. It can be after anything. Lust in general is just something that you long to have, something that you want. And apparently these guys' lives, they lusted after their own life. They were a little bit selfish. 
And now that you see the breakdown, that kind of makes Pastor's statement last week a little bit more understandable when he said that 90% of the people do 10% of the work, and 10% of the people do 90% of the work. This story here is a great illustration of that very fact. Because we see that here in this story. Now, the 300 out of the 32,000 only represents really less than 1% of who stayed out of the army. It was like, I think I calculated it, 0.009. So we're really not even to 1%. So 300 men didn't even rank 1% of the 32,000 that showed up. And God looks at that and goes, yeah, I, I like these odds a lot better. Now, an average man would look at this and go, I think, God, you're kind of a little cuckoo. Odds being 107 to 1, and you're looking at us to take out a battle-hardened army? Well, a lot of these guys, they weren't really soldiers. They didn't train to be soldiers. They just heard the call. They were called. Few were chosen. So we have these 300 left. What do they represent? Those 300 that are left represent the faithful few that have the courage to fight. Those 300 that are left are the ones that have the courage and the faith to go forward. They're the ones that are, we'll step out on faith. We're all right with that. We've seen some few miracles of God. Even if we didn't see any miracles of God, that's all right. We'll just go ahead and, and stay with you anyway. And not to point fingers, but I mean, if we look around in, in, in our church right now, you know, we know that there are a lot of other people that can be here. We know that there's a lot of people that are out for, for various reasons. But we are the faithful few. But God takes that faithful few and he does something with them. He goes and puts them up when the odds are against him to a huge army. And what's really great in this, in, in this battle, of course, you give God the glory. So the rest of the story goes that God put a dream in some of the Amalekites' hearts. And he told Gideon, he said, Gideon, take one of you guys down there. Why don't you go listen to this dream? And they each other told the dream. And he said that, you know, we were ransacked in my dream and I believe it was, I think he used food analogies. And he said, but, but it was none other than Gideon was the one that set us awry in his dream. And the other guy had a dream and they both were compared basically saying that when the children of Israel come, we're going to get beat. So many pastors and so many people always say that me and God are the majority. Just you and him are the majority. I don't need a huge group of people. That's what God's saying. I just need you. I just need your faithfulness. And I just need your servitude. And that's what pastor asked for us last week. That's what God's asking for you now. And that's what God asked for you the moment that you get saved is your faithfulness and your servitude. He's not asking for your talent. He'll give you that. He's not asking you to be able to speak well. 
He'll give you all the words you need to say. He's not, a, he's not asking you to be handy. He'll give you the knowledge. There's nothing that we lack in the Lord. Nothing. But we got to be willing to want to go get it. We got to be willing to ask God for it. And we got to be willing to ask God to help us with it and to step out on by faith. Let's turn to one last verse and we'll close here. Psalms 54.4. These were these last 300 new. I want you to see this verse. 54.4. Psalms 54.4. We're just going to look at the first few words right there. David said, Behold, God is mine helper. He begs to help you. He begs to want to use you. And He begs you to want to be used. He wants you to show Himself real unto yourself. Basically, he's saying, prove me. Step out on faith. Prove me. I told you what I can do. And the only ones that really need to see it is us. Because God doesn't need to really prove himself. We just need to know it for ourselves. And that's where the rest of these armies and the rest of the soldiers, that's where they faltered. They didn't see that. They just showed up because they wanted to see what was going on. And the moment that they were able to flee, they did. And the rest of them were a little bit selfish, so they decided to leave themselves. Left with just the 300, with just a few. And if you've ever read any of the stories in the Bible, and I hope you have, how many people does God really use at one time? At any one story, there's usually just one. One person leading the masses. Sometimes it's just the only one person. We look at the book of Judges here. We look at what Samson did. We look at what Samson could do. You could be that way too. See what Shamgar, Shamgar was one of the third judges. There wasn't a whole lot said about Shamgar, but I always think it's impressive when you're able to kill 600 soldiers with a stick. That's pretty cool. I get excited about those things. Or a jawbone of a donkey. Or when God uses a left-handed man, which is kind of seems to be a little unusual because left-handed were kind of looked upon to be uh, uh, kind of evil and sinful. Any lefties in here? Uh-huh, yep. Figured, figured it out. Figured it out, George. There you go. It's that one person again. But she's married to a Ohio State fan. So... No. Had to throw that in there, too. So, you know, a jawbone of a donkey, a stick. You know, you look at Moses. Moses did the Ten Commandments with a stick. I mean, he didn't perform them. That's what he had in his hand. That's what did a lot of the tricks. Not really tricks or miracles, I would call them more or less. He was with a stick. Aaron proved himself with a stick. So God does a lot of things with sticks. A lot of miraculous things with sticks. Moses stuck that stick in water and it parted. Anybody ever try that? 
I have a few times, it's usually when the stick lands in the water, it all parts, but it all comes back. It doesn't stay away. But God takes very little and does a lot of great things in them, with him. And each of us have a very little faith, faith of a mustard seed. It's what it took to get saved and what it also takes for God to use you now. So what little faith you have, what little talents you have, what little uh, of anything you have, give it to God and let God use it and God will do great things with it. But we have to get to that point too. We got to get past our sinful nature, which is hard to do. We got to die to ourselves daily, as Paul said. And we're never going to be without sin until Christ comes. But we can limit it. We can keep it to a minimum. And then the moment you do it, you get down on your face and tell God you're sorry. And start making things right after that point. And then also get rid of your selfish desires, your, your lusts, the things that you long for, the things, creature comforts is a lot of, is a lot of what ends up being. We need any things to get along, you know, food, clothing, shelter. But we don't need the best of everything. And give the rest to God. 